platform, offshore platform or offshore drilling rig is a large structure with facilities for well drilling to explore, extract, store and process pro petroleum what he said, and natural gases that lies in rock formations beneath the seabed. And in the United States, 565 million barrels are extracted per year via offshore drilling. This is 1.5 million barrels per day, which is just 7% of the oil Americans consume every day. I have big news, guys. Yes, we have been privileged as a podcast by Spotify to test out. There are like 500 podcasts that are allowed to do this out video podcasts on Spotify. Do you, know, <gasps> you know on Spotify you have like the video you wouldn't know. You know you and yeah, you must I think you know you have a bit of music on Apple music. You know you have a music video in the back. Yeah like a bit a little and, section of it. Yeah and like yeah but now podcast doing that but we can put the full video. So Mostin, we might need your camera amazingness again. You're not completely useless. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's going to be just me and Oshan yeah. didn't care about the privilege. But many of you out there would. It's pretty cool. Thank you very that. much, Spotify. I mean, I did send them a request. They didn't just say, "Oh, here you go." I kind of begged them. Yeah, that's beside right, the that point. That would be cool. <laughs> Please. Why did you say that, show? It, it was so much. Does it, it makes us look. I gotta be honest. It's twenty twenty-two. I need. Sorry, we've got to cut that one. Hey, music. Anyway, let's get back to the topic of oil rigging. What is it? Putting ridges in oil? How did you get that? Ridging. It's rigging, not ridging. Oh, I don't care. (laughs) Is it Manchester City's only income? No. What? Hang on, what do I say? What is it? Putting rigs on oil. So, so yeah, ridges on Ridges, oil. R- rigging. Uh, it's, it's ridges? A, how does that mean? It does, it's a different sound. It's just the... I couldn't... It's ridge. How did you do this? You probably copied and pasted half of this as well. <laughs> no, I actually made that my own joke. Wow. What? <laughs> oh, thank you, Joe. <laughs> so, this is crazy. The camera what, no, so what you, you say, what is it? And I, I put in a joke, putting ridges on oil. No, oil rigging is any kind of apparatus constructed for oil drilling. Kinds of oil rigging include drilling rig, an apparatus for on-land oil drilling, oil platform, an apparatus for offshore oil drilling, oil well. <laughs> oil well. A boring in which oil is extracted. What a weird name. <laughs> so, so here are fifteen facts. <laughs> why? Why did you start laughing in the first place? You triggered me. Uh, oh, you, you did a little giggle when I said oil well, and then I. Was so no, it's because it's it's just so clearly copied and pasted. <laughs> Except this part. The only way you can tell is because Joe hasn't even used the time of the word. <laughs> off by heart. <laughs> no, the point is, you research the figures, you don't copy and paste it, you then make your own sentence. Yeah, the other lines it. that are yours are the ones with no capital letters. <laughs> okay, so here are 15 facts that shows copy and pasted about oil rigging. <laughs>
Offshore platforms are located anywhere from a couple hundred meters to 250 miles off the coast. Some rigs run as far down as two kilometers beneath the surface. The Gulf of Mexico has nearly 125 oil rigs in operation. First known offshore drilling happened in Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan in the 19th century. Sounds like we're laughing at that name now, doesn't it? We're not, we're just laughing at shows. Oil rigs are commonly referred as floating cities since many different people live on them at any given time. It's also a fun it's also fun to note that, that that most offshore oil rigs are taller than the world's biggest skyscrapers. It's been estimated that oil rigs in the Gulf of Mexico directly employ somewhere between 10,000 and 12,500 workers. The total number of directly and indirectly supported jobs by the offshore industry is 62,500, which is 3.3% of the total employment in the state of Louisiana. Louisiana. <laughs> the first modern method of oil drinking developed by Edwin L. Drake in 1859 <laughs> is, is still being used to this day. Though the increased demand for petroleum products has required more efficient means of oil production. Yeah. The world has used 800 billion barrels of oil since 1859 and oil drilling quickly became a booming industry. According to the US Department of Energy, new technologies are allowing drillers to reach oil reserves once considered unreachable. Oil wells are used to pump crude petroleum gases and oil from underground sources. Crude oil is a highly viscous, vicious, 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 vicious. I thought we were better educated than us. I'm not sure. Is that how? That's vicious. Why would oil be described as vicious? Highly vicious liquid. And very bad it, in colour. Because it's flammable. Oh right. It wouldn't viscous. <laughs> Highly vicious liquid and very dark cut in colour. I'll say that again. Oil wells are used to pump crude petroleum gases and oil from the underground sources. Crude oil is, ver is a highly vicious liquid and very dark Okay, offshore oil drilling is very similar to other methods used on land, except crewmen often live aboard these massive <laughs> drilling, drilling ships. Stop looking at me offshore. At death, at, at death, a depth, Shut up. Okay. A depth less than 200 feet, 61 meters. Special oil drills, drills called jack-up rigs are <laughs> <laughs> used once the depths reach 4,000 feet, 1,220 meters. The rigs are semi-submersible and are anchored to the ocean. semi-submersible and are anchored to ocean floor with air-filled legs. Okay, there are even drill ships that dig to the depths of 8,000 feet, 2,440 metres. And what? And you said... No, that's, that's not correct. Yeah, right, yeah, there we go. Two, two, I thought it said 24,000. 2,440 metres. And use sophisticated navigational equipment. However, offshore oil drilling... <laughs> it's been a plague on the environment over the years. Major oil companies are constantly being accused of spilling oil and tox toxic chemicals in the water, releasing, nox releasing noxious gas gases 
into the atmosphere and endangering wildlife near these drill sites. For example, Chevron has paid nearly $10 million in fines between the years of 1992 and 1997 for numerous violations to the, to the Clean Water Act. There are different, many different ways of collecting oil from the sea. And for our last facts, rigs are raised and slid into place by a cantilever. This week's debate time question is, should oil rigging still be allowed to happen and why? Well, I believe that it shouldn't because it's affecting the environment, um, but we should definitely shouldn't do it instantly because it would affect the world's economy like So loads. you're suggesting that we, we sort of... We, sl- we phase them out. Take little steps. So I think, what's yeah, the graph? Maybe. What's the graph? It's, it's like um, that. I don't how to describe it it just slowly goes down declines declines, what they're saying is what's probably going to happen it's just going to go bam it's just gonna stop you can't just stop it instantly like we said uh, millions without jobs and uh, just random oil transport will pretty much grind we need to replace it with something for the jobs don't we we need to replace it with wind power Renewable energy yeah, jobs. Yeah, we need to place it. That's why transitioning will be a very hard we will, part of But, it. like, we'll need to lay off. We'll need to say there is... How many oil rigs are there in the world? Yeah. Oil rigs? Yeah. Um, about... Uh, there's a lot. triggered us is just the the one part that you actually did was the no and then okay the global number of onshore and offshore rigs are 2000 to 2020 no it says that at the end of 2020 there were 843 operational onshore oil rigs compared with 173 offshore. That's really so there are a lot, little. Like a there are a lot more than... It's not loads. Opera- so it's like a thousand. Quite a lot aren't, a aren't operational. So like, how many are? Like, how many are they operational? A thousand? No, it's So I think that we should maybe cut out each year maybe 15% of the... Um, Current uh, oil rigs, we shut down fifteen percent of the eight hundred thirty-four, yeah. and then, but we would have to replace that with. So, so say that lost a thousand jobs. So each government would need to contribute say a down. certain amount. So it's a bit like the Paris Agreement. Each government would have to get together and have an agreement, wouldn't they? It's, a, it's a bit like doing um scattered openings for COVID in a way. Or yeah. closings, rather. Yeah, like, but no, but not really. We'd shut down maybe 90 of them or something. Out of 834, first year we'd shut down 90-ish. And that maybe that would take out about 10,000 jobs, maybe? 90 nah, oil rigs? Maybe. Five, oh, 90, yeah, probably. 90 oil rigs, 10,000 jobs. 
Um, or more, I think. Yeah. Probably even a thousand people on each one. I'm not sure, but quite a lot. <laughs> and I think that if but if we lay off uh, like nine, a hundred, like ten thousand, twenty thousand people from the job, we'd have to replace those jobs. We'd have to build for every oil rig that we lay off. We'd have to build a or some sort of eat fat oh, I don't know, solar panel manufacturing facilities and yeah. stuff or a or a <laughs> wind power plant or something or some source of more renewable energy we'd have to just give the we'd have to perfectly replace out the jobs essentially we'd have to sort of swap it out like have oh like oh build th- 90 renewable yeah, fossil fuel for companies it's probably not going to happen but they could transition to renewable yeah they would probably, it would even maybe it would still make them money maybe less but you know end of debate time to get more information on this topic we talked to Rosemary Harris um, so, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so, I'm Rosemary. I'm a campaigner and I work for Platform. Um, Platform is a small arts and activism charity which aims to work with individuals, communities and workers to create new systems that tackle injustice and climate breakdown. Um, so, we do that through working with communities and creating sort of small uh examples of how we think that big systems could work and then we also challenge kind of large-scale ownership of energy and the fossil fuel industry through unions workers uh and through politics so i specifically work on a project on the north sea just transition for offshore oil and gas workers so what that means basically is speaking to workers hearing their concerns about barriers to working in offshore renewable energy what their workplace issues are and what they think the solutions are so that we can shape that. Um, yeah. So why is the transition away from oil and gas important? So at the moment, um, as a country, we're emitting way over the amount of carbon dioxide that we reasonably can do to stay within our fair share of emissions for the world to stay below 1.5 degrees of warming. Um, because we're a country with more responsibility for carbon emissions historically, We should also commit to scaling down as quickly as we can, as the impacts of climate breakdown are felt more by people in countries that historically haven't admitted as much. The International Energy Agency last year said that we couldn't open up any more of the North Sea for oil and gas supply and still stay below 1.5. So basically, we need to scale down the extraction of oil and gas in already existing fields in the North Sea, but not and not open any new ones. And while we do that, we need to scale up renewable energy product projects. Um, but that transition is just, just the environment argument of the transition. And we need to look at it as a just transition away from oil and gas. So in reality, there are a lot of people, particularly in the northeast of Scotland and England, who work in the oil and gas industry, particularly offshore on the rigs. And there are towns and cities where their economies are reliant on oil and gas. So we need a just transition to avoid repeating what happened to the coal miners and mining towns in the 80s, which I know you guys are in Wales, and that impacted Wales a lot. And you can still see the impact in parts of Wales and England today. So that means that so for the just transition, we need to keep in line with what we need to do to reduce our carbon emissions. But while we do that, we need to make sure that 
we're looking after people who have jobs that might not exist or that there'll be less of once we've moved away from oil and gas. Um, because the closure of the coal mines was very sudden and a lot of people lost their jobs and that's what we want to avoid. Okay, so how do you help people with the transition? So I work specifically with offshore oil and gas workers. Um, so those are the, the guys out on the oil rigs. Um, and so I'll sort of speak about how we're, how we're working with them. Um, so the first thing that we need to do is just engage people with, with it as an idea. So in 2020, we did a survey which showed that 91% of offshore workers had never even heard of a just transition. So these are some of the people that will be the most impacted by a move away from oil and gas, and they aren't even being brought into the conversation and they don't even know about it. So we believe in the need for a worker-led transition, which means the workers and the most impacted are leading the conversation and shaping what that future looks like for them. And so a big first step for that is just to make sure that people know about it and want to be part of it. Um, so the second thing that we do is we look at the barriers that are preventing people from already moving away from oil and gas. Um, and in our conversations with workers, what we found at the moment is that even though they are quite similar jobs, if a worker wants to go from offshore oil to offshore wind, so working on the rigs to working on the big wind turbines, they have to repeat some really basic training, which they also have to pay for themselves. So they'll spend an average of 1800 pounds on training per year. And a lot of them can't afford to do that for both wind and oil. So they have to pick one. And at the moment, there are more jobs in oil and gas. So that's where they tend to end up staying. But so to address that idea with the workers, they've backed the idea of an offshore passport which means that basically those qualifications would work in oil and gas and in wind and would mean that while we're still waiting for there to be more renewables jobs, they'd be able to work in both and have the skills that they need. And we're kind of pushing that in, in government at the moment. Um, and then the third thing that we're doing, sort of addressing other working issues that aren't just about the climate. So there are a lot of issues around uh, making sure that there are green jobs that people can have, but we also need those to be good jobs. So at the moment in the energy sector, there are issues with people not being paid very much, with the work being dangerous, with the lack of job security because they're hired on short-term contracts. Um, so they never know where their next going to work be working after a few weeks. And all of those things we want to make sure that as we move away from oil and gas, those things don't happen again in the wind industry because people will feel safer and happier if that isn't the conditions that they're working in. But overall, the way that we want to do this is about is basically just to make sure that the workers are leading the transition rather than the oil and gas industry who are always motivated, motivated by their own profits. So we're trying to create the space and the opportunity for that to happen. Uh, why do we need to get people to tr transition from oil and gas? So I think that's quite similar to sort of why that why the transition is important um, on a sort of global and a national level. We need people to transition from oil and gas because if less people are using it, then we have less emissions and there's less demand for it. I think that the big thing about the transition away from oil and gas, though, is that it's something that 
is difficult for people to do on an individual level unless the government is taking action because a lot of the things that need to change are big national things around sort of I mean I don't I don't know about your houses but my house is connected up to the gas so my heating and my hot water and I cook with gas and we need to change that for every household and that's something that the government needs to do it isn't something that people can do themselves very easily. So what's one thing about you that most people familiar with you with your work wouldn't know? Oh one thing about me uh, to do with my work or or just a random fact? Um, to do with your work. Uh, what might they not know? Oh I talk so much they probably know a lot of things about me. Um, they might not know that Ooh. Uh, oh, you stumped me. Um, uh, so they might not know that before I worked in, so I, I now work mainly on uh, the political side of this kind of work um, and do it working with people and, and with politicians. But um, when I was... Uh, at university and a little bit afterwards, I was actually doing uh, biology and I worked in um, the conservation side of this kind of work and uh, lived out in South America doing some conservation work. What kind of stuff were you conservating? Uh, so I worked in a what's called a cloud forest, which is like a rainforest, but in the mountains. Um, and I was doing a survey to look at, um, it's basically, it's one of the most biodiverse places in the world um, for plants and birds. And so I was doing a survey of different kinds of plants that they have there and how they respond. Um, so there's different ways that people will deforest areas. So sometimes they'll just cut them down. Sometimes they'll burn them down. Um, and so I was looking at how that impacts what different plants grow back there. Twenty twenty two has started off with a bang. You could say this has not aged well. There was a um volcanic eruption in Tongo. I think the day after we recorded this, so um oops. Literally. Literally. The tallest Galapagos art volcano erupts, spewing lava and ash. Yay. Um, Quito, Ecuador Quito? Ecuador, the tallest mountain in the Galapagos uh, Islands was erupting on Friday, spewing lava down its flanks and clouds of ash over the Pacific Ocean, according to the Ecuador's Geo Geophysical Institute. A gas cloud and ash from Wolf Volcano rose to 3,793 metres, 12,444 no. feet above sea level following the eruption that began shortly before midnight Wednesday local time, the Institute said. Uh, wait, wait, so that's two different volcanoes. No, it's not. Well, well, why is one called Quito and one called it's where, it, it's where it is. Oh, right. 
Ecuador's Emergency Operations Committee said the new er eruption on Eli Elizabeth I Isabella. Is oh, Isabella. Isabella Island, the largest in the Galapagos chain, didn't re uh, represent a risk to humans or, or to native local species. Populated areas are located on the opposite side of the island. Next, the, la the last seven years have been the hottest on record. 2021 data shows. With the first analysis of global temperature... <laughs> in 2021, showing it was 1.2 degrees above pre-industrial levels. The assessment of the year by the European Climate Agents, Agency Coprentia... Coprentia... Climate Agents. Climate Agents. Climate Agents. See, I don't know, also found carbon dioxide in the atmosphere reached le record levels and that the potent greenhouse gas, methane, surged very sustainably. Substantially. Oh, oh. This <laughs> keeps coming, coming. That's what she said. The rising greenhouse gas concentration means more heat is being trapped than ever. Bef than, than ever. Before, but. Before, than ever before. But 2021 ranked as the fifth hottest year on record. This is because n a natural. A natural and so cyclic. Cyclic? Cyclic? Cyclic. Cyclic. Climate phenomenon called La Nina. <laughs> uh, La Nina exerted a cooling influence by bringing cold Pacific waters to the surface. And lastly today, Denmark to make domestic flights fossil fuel free by 2030. In her New Year's address, Prime Minister Mette Frederiksen said she wanted to make flying green. However, she acknowledged that the solutions to reach her target were not yet in place. Denmark is aiming for 70% cut in overall carbon emissions by 2030. Carbon or carbon dioxide? Carbon dioxide emissions. Just carbon! Yeah, emissions by 2030, compared to 1990 levels. The tra to travel is to live, and therefore we fly, says Mrs. Frederiksen, announcing her plan. When other countries in the world are too slow, then Denmark must take the lead and raise the bar even more, she said. She added that achieving green domestic flights would be difficult, but researchers and companies were working on solutions. The European manufacturer for Airbus has announced plans to, de to, de to, de to develop hydrogen-fueled planes that That's could cool. be operational by 2035. Ooh, that's very cool. If the hydrogen used to fuel them is generated by renew by using renewable energy, this way, this could be a way for Denmark to reach its goals. Not fossil fuels, hydrogen, electrolysis. Thank you okay. so much for listening oh. to the 22nd episode, I think, of the State of Nature podcast. What's the shot we're going we hope you in did enjoy this episode. I remember to rate our podcast. No, 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 that's my line. Oh. Remember to rate our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and also subscribe on YouTube and on Instagram and Twitter. Bye. 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 What a bad episode. That was quite fun. Look at the stars.